going to be continuing in our series on the seven words to the churches today. And um, in this series, we've been looking at the seven letters written in the book of Revelations, chapter 2 and 3, um, to seven churches in the area of Asia Minor. And for many of us, we are studying these in our groups as well, or even if you're not in a group, if you go to the sermon section on the webpage, you'll find the resources, and there are some videos and some study material that you can use as well. Um, I want to start this morning by saying, even though that my, my section this morning is Revelations 2, 8 to 11, which is the letter to the church at Smyrna, I want to encourage you to be reading the whole book of Revelations. The reason for being for me saying that is that um, you can't just take um, a section of the scripture out of the context in which it's placed. And in fact, while we're looking at these letters to the churches, um, the whole book of Revelation um, surrounds um, the, the meaning of understanding what these letters are about. And so if you think about the book of Revelations, in the first chapter, there is a, a powerful description of the risen Christ. And it is full of vivid imagery. Um, and some of it even might seem a bit unusual or abstract to us. Um, but it makes it really clear that the source of this book is the Lord Jesus Christ. Then in chapter 2 and 3, we read these seven letters to seven churches. And whilst it might be easy for us to think, oh, this is a bit more historical, we'll treat it differently, um, what's woven into these two chapters is references to what went before and certainly what is written after in the book of Revelations. And then we get to chapter 4 to the end of the book and this is where some people have all sorts of different ideas because they start to say this is a hard book to understand. It's a hard book to read. Um, because there is so much detail, um, so many images, so many pictures that are raised. And whilst most people will find that they can understand the general tenor of the book, the way that it is written is quite different. So I just want to spend a little bit of time helping you to understand how we can look at the whole book. And, and that is to say that most of the book of Revelations is written in a particular style, um, we talk about it being apocalyptic literature and certainly the people of the day when they read the whole of the letter that came from John, including the latter parts, would have a much more familiarity with um, the way that it was written and the, the pictures that it has. But for, for me and maybe for you too, as sort of a, a lay person in terms of understanding, I'll tell you how I understand the book of Revelations and hope it might be a help for you. Um, on the um, screen, I've got some artworks. This first picture here, um, this is a couple of paintings by somebody who comes from the same part of England where I was born, John Constable. He was in East Anglia, Suffolk, Essex area. He spent most of his life. And he painted pictures which were very famous and are called landscape pictures. And for most of us, when we look at a picture like that, we can make a, quite a bit of an interpretation about the scene and what's happening and what's going on. Let me show you one other picture. I'm not an art critic by any way, but let me show you the next picture. This next picture is also a very famous picture. Um, this picture um, is a painting that was written by um, 
I wrote his name down somewhere. Olson, that's right. Mr. Olson, John Olson, I think it was. Um, and this is a very famous painting as well. It's on the screen. <laughs> I told you, I, I, where I grew up, uh, being interested in art wasn't a thing, so I'm, 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 I'm really pretending here. Um, and you look at that picture, and it's not as easy to understand, is it, as the first two pictures. Now, if you go to the next slide, what you'll see is that when we compare those two pictures, we would have to use a different way of understanding to make sense of those pictures. So with the second one, um, it's actually um, in the New South Wales Art Gallery. Um, it's called Five Bells, and it's a painting that was drawn to represent a poem that was written by Kenneth Lesser. And the poem was about a gentleman who was going across the Sydney Harbour on a ferry, and he fell overboard and drowned. And when I was looking at this painting, somebody who was trying to tell me how it was such a marvellous piece of art, and I'm saying, just looks like lots of bright colours and, and, and whatever, they said, you've got to imagine that this might be the picture that the fellow who fell off the boat looking up through the water would see of the lights of the Sydney Harbour. Now, I don't know whether you believe that or not, but um, you have to look at it in a different way to make sense of it. And if you try to use the, the methods of interpreting, say, a landscape painting for this, you couldn't do it. And so when we come to the book of Revelations, it's a bit like that as well. You and I have the danger of trying to interpret Revelations historically or trying to um, make everything um, count for some particular fact in history when, in fact, Revelations is more like this picture which has some overall sense, but we don't necessarily have to be able to work out every part and what every part means. And so when we come to our study of the, the letters of the Church of Smyrna, um, I want you to think about the whole book of Revelations. And as we're going through these series in church, I want you to read the whole book of Revelation and then come back and keep looking at the letters that we're looking at. One other thing in setting the scene is um, the writer of the book of Revelations is John, the Apostle. And what you want to imagine is this, that whilst John wrote the letter, he was really writing what God had spoken to him. When I was um, working in the Queensland Baptist, um, I had a job as a regional consultant. And so I sort of identify a bit with John in this section of scripture because um, John had a group of churches that he worked with and he served and that was my job. I had 60 Baptist churches in my area most of the time and I can remember once doing a workshop with some other regional ministers and um, we actually took these chapters and we said, okay, here's seven churches. Let's pretend Asia Minor is our region and then look at each church and what it's like and what's going on there and, and what sort of advice, encouragement um, would we give to them? Well, if you want to think about these letters, it's a bit like that as well. These seven churches are all different. When you read the letter, you realise that they have different strengths. They have different weaknesses. But God is speaking into each of those churches. And when we talk about seven words for the church today, all our churches are different as well. Sure, there might be some similarities, but there are differences there, and God wants to speak to each church individually. 
And so we come to the church of Smyrna. Okay, we're, we're sort of getting the setting as we're going to read these verses. And what you need to know about this is about the city of Smyrna. Um, the, the city of Smyrna was a very affluent, well-off um, city in the Roman Empire. Um, in fact, it was a key commercial centre, even rivalling Ephesus that we talked about last week as one of the main places in, in the area as it was. It was a key commercial centre. It was very strategically placed on major trade routes. It was a, a model city. Um, if you went back a couple of hundred years in the time of Alexander the Great, then this city of Smyrna had been a planned city that was built to demonstrate the, the wealth and the power of that um, civilization at the time. Um, it was a city of great beauty. It wasn't a particularly religious city in this sense. They didn't have statues to Greek gods or Roman gods in particular or temples or whatever. It was an economic powerhouse and if they worshipped anything, it was materialism. It was the ability to be wealthy and to make money. Um, if you read the history of Smyrna, um, it did develop into a religious centre but the religious religion that they followed was that of Roman emperor worship. And from what I can understand, the reason that they actually worshipped the Roman emperor was not because of any religious feeling, but because it represented the material wealth and the empire that they were able to have. And so here you have this city, wealthy, affluent, um, making money and um, succeeding is the big part of the city. And within this city there is a church, a church at Smyrna, who were a despised minority group. They were abused by the people around them. And so it's to this church that, Jesus, that John is writing. So if you have your Bible or you can follow on the screen, let's read the letter to the church at Smyrna. These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let him them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. And if you're able to have those verses in front of you as we go through, we'll just have a look and see what the letter says. I come from a generation where it's nice to have things with the same letter. So if you can tell me afterwards that the sermon was brought by the letter C, then you've been listening pretty carefully. Um, but there is some patterns in looking at these letters um, that will help us for each of the letters and for this one as well. And the first one is this, that um, it's very clear from the letter that Christ is the source of this letter to the church of Sperna. 
In fact, if you look at each of the seven letters, um, they all start with a reference to the source of the message being the Lord Jesus Christ. And what they do is they go back to chapter 1 and they see in chapter 1 that there's a whole lot of images and pictures of who the Christ, who Christ is and they take a different one for each church. And so the reference in this section is um, found in verse 8 when it says, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. And so when you think about how Jesus is described, it gives you an idea about what the point of the letter is. And the idea that Jesus was the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, all means the same thing. It's really saying that, that Jesus Christ is in charge of all of history. He, he knows from the beginning to the end and it's all under his control. And so what's happening is this, that the, the dimension of Jesus' um, death and resurrection within the, the core of history is actually helping the people of Smyrna in their suffering and difficulty to get an understanding that this Jesus who they serve um, not only suffered, but he rose again to life. And so this letter then becomes about great hope. There is hope that comes to the Church of Smyrna. Church of Smyrna um, is one of only two letters out of the seven churches where there isn't a section which we would call the condemnation section. So when you read in the churches, just like all churches, they have strengths and weaknesses, but five of the seven churches, um, there is a section that really talks about, yet these things I hold against you. The church in Smyrna um, does not have a section like that. What a wonderful tribute to a church to stay faithful in the most difficult situation and circumstances and be commended by God in that way. And then the letter goes on and then talks about the commendations, if you like, the, the things that God is praising them for or telling them these are things which I value in you as a body of believers in the place of Smyrna. But it also spells out the challenges which they are experiencing as well. And so we come down to verse 9. It says this, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. Bit of a riddle, isn't it? I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. When it says, I know your afflictions and your poverty, if you actually dig into the language in which it was written, um, the word for affliction there talks about extreme affliction. So John is writing this letter and to the church at Smyrna, they are under a great deal of oppression, affliction, because of their stand for Christ. But the word for... Per, um, for um, the persecution um, also talks very much about that as well. And so the, the, the affliction that they receive and the persecution, and it also is a word there for poverty, and it says that they, they suffer from extreme poverty. The Christians in that city were struggling to cope financially um, in a wealthy city, 
because the people in the city were putting on economic sanctions um, and mistreating the followers of Christ to such a point that they were struggling to even have enough food to eat. And it's interesting in the verse that we read that um, in particular I pointed out the, the Jewish people who lived in the city of Smyrna. You see, um, the Jewish people were spread throughout the Roman Empire and in lots of places they did very well financially and business-like. Now when we think about the Jewish people, we think about the special relationship they have with God. But this Jewish congregation here is nothing about their attitude towards God. Um, they obviously, their attitude is towards money and welfare. And so in the letter we read that they are described as the synagogue, not of God, but of Satan. So here we are in Smyrna where we have this church who are experiencing great persecution, great affliction, um, struggling to survive, and the people who probably were in the best place to understand their, um, their serving God um, are the very people who are giving them the most difficulty and persecuting. And yet, you know, there's a shining light in this passage. These people are oppressed on every side, and yet the letter says, yet you are rich. How can that be? They are suffering in every possible way and yet the letter says that you are rich. Well, they're not rich materially. They're not rich by the amount of comfort that they live in. They are rich because they are dependence upon God and their relationship with God in the midst of circumstance makes them rich. In our culture, sometimes we find it a bit hard to understand how that works. One of the things over the last number of years I've had the privilege of doing is working with a number of our, of our refugee congregations in our Baptist movement. We have many um, churches that have sprung up with people from Sudan or from Burma, like the Karen and the Chin, um, places from refugees from the Congo um, and from a, a number of other countries as well. And it's very interesting that when you go into their churches and you share with them, the sense of, of the presence of God is very strong. And when they've come out of the refugee camps and they've come to this country, um, they have come from a place where they have been spiritually very rich and materially very poor. One of the things which um, may or may not surprise you is this, that as you get to know the pastors of these churches they actually lament something that in the refugee camps they had, which here they feel that they're in danger of losing. And that is the people who just so utterly depended upon God. When they come to Australia, there's a lot of temptation to actually depend on other things. And certainly a number of pastors have told me over the years that when they were in the, um, their countries of origin, they were spiritually rich and materially poor. But coming to Australia, for many of their people, they become materially rich and spiritually poorer for it. So the letter goes on to talk about counsel to the church and it wants to encourage this church in Smyrna. Verse 10, Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. 
I tell you that the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you life as your victor's crown. What, is, what it's saying to the church at Smyrna is this, is don't be afraid, be faithful. The key pe- message to Smyrna is that it's not glossing over the difficulty of being a follower of Christ in their circumstances. Um, it talks about the fact that there is to come even more and ongoing persecution. Um, the verses there talks about um, some of you will be in prison to test you, some will suffer persecution, um, and some of you even to the point of death. But you know what? In this letter it's saying that this might be a reality, but it's not an indefinite reality. The fact that the letter talks about the fact that it's only going to be for 10 days is sort of like putting into the, the mix that for a season there's going to be a difficulty You need to actually be faithful in the midst of that season. But don't be afraid. Be faithful. And it goes on to say, because I will give you life as your victor's crown. So this letter is a call to the church to remain faithful. It's interesting in this book, and I said at the beginning, that we need to look at the book as a whole. The theme that, um, that Christ is the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega, is in each part of the book of Revelations. In chapter 1, um, we read that that was who Christ was. In chapter 2, verse 8, in our readings this morning, we saw that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, um, for the church in Smyrna. But of course, as you read through the whole book, you see that that is true right to the very ends of history. And so in verse 20, chapter 21, verses 3 and 7, we come across again Jesus being described as the beginning and the end. Revelations 21, 3 to 7 says, As I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. See, this is the hope that the church at Smyrna is being encouraged with. Verse 5, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. The letter to the church at Smyrna was to encourage them in their context in which they lived and followed God. You know, that in sometimes we read these things and we don't know how successful they were how faithful they were but we have a bit of an insight into the church at Smyrna because in the um, second century BC um, one of the main church fathers was a gentleman by the name of Polycarp and Polycarp was the bishop of Smyrna and Polycarp led the church at Smyrna and he died as a martyr for his faith about 50 or so years after this letter was written. 
And so he was um, a person who it says in history that he was actually mentored by John the Apostle in his early years. And then all those years later, we see that this letter rang true for the church of Smyrna. When he was about 86, um, he was led out to be um, burnt at the stake for his Christian faith. And we have recorded some of the things that he said on this final day. Here they are. He said, 86 years I have served him and he has done me no wrong, talking about God. How can I blaspheme my Lord and Saviour? You threaten me with fire that burns for a season and after a little while is quenched, but you are ignorant at the everlasting punishment that is prepared for the wicked. On his farewell, he said, I bless you, Father, for judging me worthy of this hour so that in the company of the martyrs I may share the cup of Christ. What a testimony of somebody who has been faithful and in his old age is still willing to lay down his life for the Lord. I think that's how it speaks to us today. The letter to the church at Smyrna is talking to a church which is under severe persecution, but the, but the, the messages of hope that we persevere in the current world because the hope of God we have in the future. And this application of this letter today um, can be looked at in different ways. Um, there's always a part in the, in the letters that says this, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. And so here is the hope for this church. In human terms, it doesn't look very promising. But in spiritual terms, God is going to have a wonderful victory through their faithfulness. And, you know, we look into our world and there are places in the world today that are experiencing that extreme persecution and poverty, just like the church in Smyrna. Um, not so long ago, we had Jesse Caulfield come here and speak on behalf of the Voices of the Martyrs. Um, you can go onto the internet and you can look at people like um, Barnabas Funds or Open Doors or, or sites where you can find story after story where fellow believers, brothers and sisters in Christ of ours today face oppression, um, economic, political, um, and some of them are in prison and some even lay down their lives. I um, looked up the Open Door website and I'd encourage you to do it for yourself um, and, and there's just story after story. I won't use the people's personal names, but let me just read this from, the, from Sudan. Recently, a Christian advisor to Sudan's religious affairs minister was travelling home to Sudan's capital city of Khartoum when armed men stopped the car, forced him out and beat him, yelling at him to stop speaking on behalf of the Christian church. Um, he'd been vocal on social media, media regarding unfavourable treatment of Christians by the government and reportedly one of the attackers pointed a gun at his head and threatened to kill him if he continued to say anything about confiscated properties belonging to the church. Um, there's lots and lots of stories there about that sort of persecution. Um, Three months earlier, a Christian youth leader was arrested and interrogated by security officials who warned him not to start a new church because Christianity was evil, they said. 
When we read this letter, we should be praying um, for our brothers and sisters around the world who are facing persecution even today. Um, Praying that the hope of God within them will help them to stand firm. Not to be afraid, but to be faithful. Because um, as the the, the letter tells us, that um, the second death, um, we won't be hurt by the judgment of the second death. But you know what? There is an application for us too. You might be sitting here today thinking, well, we're in Australia. Um, We don't face that sort of religious persecution. Um, In fact, we are reasonably well off. We certainly are very well off compared to the majority of people in the world. But you know, the same message is true for us. God calls us to not be afraid to be faithful. The day may come in our society when because of our allegiance to Christ we might be forced to be persecuted we might um, suffer danger to our own being we might be economically um, um, dealt with in ways that are, are going to make it very hard to survive maybe we'll even be called on to lay down our life but you know we need to fight the persecutions that we face in our world of Australia today And certainly um, the persecution of um, materialism, um, I think, is something which we can relate to. The city of Smyrna, um, what governed them was making money and having wealth. Um, The Bible never says that money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. But there is a sense in which we can have comfort and convenience and and think about our own um, welfare And that stops us from being wholeheartedly committed to following the Lord Jesus Christ who's given us so much. So as we move forward um, in the series, as we look at what God is saying to the churches, then what's God saying to us as a church at Bracken Ridge through the letter to Smyrna? Well, I think he's saying to us, you need to move forward. We need to actually focus on what God's calling us to do. And if there's a cost that comes with that, whether it's a financial cost, whether it's a a personal cost and whatever. He says, don't be afraid, be faithful. Be faithful to me because the big picture of this world, where we are now is just a small part of eternity. The book of Revelations assures us that there are cataclysmic things which are going to happen, but the result in the book of Revelations is that God wins that he calls a people to him to himself and that those people will live in harmony and in, in fellowship and joy with him. And, and now is the time of decision when people are deciding whether they're going to be his followers or not. Don't be afraid, be faithful. Maybe I can just finish with this quote from the Apostle Paul. I think he understood the meaning of this letter. In Romans 8, 18, he said this, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Thank God for the book of Revelations. We get a picture, even if it's in an abstract form, of the glory of God that waits for those of us who follow him. And it's not only for the future, but to help us stand firm for today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to be faithful to you like the church in Smyrna. Father, help us to combat those forces and those influences that would lead us astray. Father, we pray that we might be a light in the community that we place. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.